Welcome to Other People's Lives. I'm your host, Joe Sanagato. I'm your host, Greg Dybeck. It is, it's like 11 o'clock at night right now. Oh yeah, we're, we're working overtime today. So we're doing this for you guys. We're actually very excited about this episode because it has, we found a article, I believe. Yes, this is, yeah, completely different. This is not an email. Right. It's not a Craigslist post. This is an article that we came across on Vice. And the topic was just so on point with what we do. Right. And we just decided that we had to reach out to this person. Uh, the article, it was actually an interview. Uh, and they responded, luckily. Right. So the, I guess instead of reading the subject of an email, since we don't have an email, let's read the title of the article. Right. And you'll understand why it caught our eyes. The title is, I give disabled people orgasms for a living. Right. So right off the bat, we're like, what is this? Right. I haven't really looked at the interview as much as I probably should have. Well, I don't, I just, I kind of wanted to be, to be surprised in a way. You yeah. That's I mean? your thing. You like going into this. Yeah, like, I like going in blind because blind. I don't, I don't want to go through and kind of like get all the information first. Like I want to hear it and have a natural, natural reaction to it. So I, uh, I mean, I did prepare a little bit. I want to have some questions I have for, for this woman, but this is a very interesting thing. I did not even know this yeah, kind of thing existed. I, yeah, I had no idea. So, Let alone you can make a living from it. Right, because the the gist of this interview and what this woman does, she, it's called sex surrogacy in the interview. Right. So she basically, I mean, it's almost like, it almost sounds like similar to physical therapy where, you know, there's obviously... A stigma or it's considered taboo when it comes to sex and being disabled mm -hmm. so she actually works with disabled people to kind of help with their sexuality right and what that entails i'm not sure but based on the title it seems like they're going all the way yeah well i mean we're gonna find out i i i don't want to jump to conclusions i really want to hear everything from her but this does sound very interesting yeah. i'm sure I, everyone's kind of like what is going on yeah i do so the the guy who did uh write this article it seems like he is disabled himself uh and he, and, he, and he, works he, with her right. so he wrote because of my disability i already need help with so many intimate things as part of my everyday routine such as getting dressed and using the bathroom so i felt uneasy asking somebody to assist me with sexual activities too but Jocelyn, is her name, is very good at what she does and understanding what my needs and fantasies are. And I now feel comfortable with my sexual preferences. Hmm. Okay. Well, definitely have a lot of questions for this woman, so let's give her a call. Hello? Hey, how's it going? This is Greg and Joe. Hi. Hi. You guys uh, figured it out. Oh, yes, yes. We're here. We had some technical difficulties, <laughs> but we got it. Don't worry. Um, so we, we came across your article on vice and we found it to be very interesting. This is something that I have never even heard of before. Uh, the title, even I give disabled people orgasms for a living. It just kind of jumped off the page, uh, to me. So because I've yeah. never, because I've never heard of it, I just like you to just give me a quick summary of what exactly you mean by that. Right. Um, well, first of all, that that title, <laughs> um, I wouldn't have approved that title if they would have asked me before they printed it, which they didn't. They didn't ask me or Spencer. They didn't let us proofread that article. So we're both actually printing a retraction 
um, because that title is very much, it's clickbait, right? Right. And like, like you said, it, it jumped off the page at you and that's what it was designed to do. And even though as a surrogate, uh, I work as a sexual surrogate for people with physical disabilities, um, that's, that can be part of what I do. I feel like there's so much more to what I do than just giving people orgasms. And so it was really misleading um, from where I was sitting. But uh, sexual surrogacy, to answer your question, is something that actually is far more developed in the U.S., uh, so that's where you guys are based out of the U.S., I yes. think, right? So um, it's it's funny because the U.S. normally is, is not really ahead of the game in terms of being really progressive when it comes to, like, sex education or, uh, you know, laws around sex work or anything like that, anything in the sexual realm, really, except for this, except for sexual partners or surrogate partner therapy. Um, you guys have programs there, and uh, so basically what happens is that someone goes through a training program, a training and certification program, and they provide the physical, the physical aspects of helping someone heal or helping someone um, progress through their sexual maturity, whatever that looks like, whether it's healing a trauma or having a first experience or whatever, uh, but it's also under the guise of a therapist. So usually surrogates are working in tandem with a registered therapist. And uh, so that's how it differs from just regular sex work is that there's a therapeutic aspect to it. And um, so we don't have a training and certification program in Canada yet. We're working on creating that right now. But uh Trish and her agency, Sensual Solutions, as far as I know, they're the only one that exists in Canada that provides a service like this. Um, and we, how we describe it is we basically say that we help people with physical disabilities, whether that be an individual or a couple, uh, access their body. So if they're not able to uh, you know, put on a condom or if they need help getting into a position so that they can be intimate with a partner or, uh, you know, whatever the case may be, we, we are there to help as facilitators to see that they get their sexual needs met. Oh, so you, you sometimes uh, will actually be there as they're having sex with somebody else and just help with moving them around and making sure they can be in the right position? Yes, that can happen. That can happen. Uh, disabled couples have, have requested help from us before. So, yeah, that's definitely part of what we can do. <laughs> so what other ways can yeah. you provide help to these people who are disabled? Um, so for myself, I've done a lot of – it's been really a lot of educational work uh, for the most part with me. A lot of, a lot of clients have come to us. Uh, just because they wanted to experience being with a, a woman in a live scenario and they'd never seen a live woman naked before. So they just wanted to look at me or touch me, ask questions about how things work and um, and stuff like that. So it's, it's mostly been helping people with their first milestones, really. Um, and very, very, very rarely uh, are they actually able to have penetrative intercourse. 
So again, this is why that title advice is so alarming because Mm -hmm. it's really a very small percentage of of our clients that uh, that's actually happening with. Um, But what what we do like to do is help clients figure out what does work for them and it's going to be different based on what their disability is. So, uh, you know, I've had clients orgasm from their earlobes being massaged, right? And so to me, I can understand how that's very sexual to them, but it's really, it's no big deal for me to do that for them, you know? Um, so we do body, we do body mapping and we help clients figure out new erogenous zones that, maybe they hadn't thought of before that they can access themselves or they can tell their partners to access. Um, so it's a lot of exploration and it's a lot of education more than anything else, I would say. But you guys do at the end of the day, that is an option too, that, uh, do the people who work at this company, if called upon, will have sex with these people who are disabled? Yes. Okay. Um, how is how how do you kind of explain this to like your partner like is this something that has like hindered your personal life in any way yeah that's a question i get a lot so um my partner my current partner now is uh very sex positive but he also happens to be a clinical sexologist like i am so he he's a little bit of a different breed um so my current partner is absolutely very supportive and uh is very proud of my work and very proud of what i do and has absolutely no issue with it uh because he understands how it's a social service and how it helps people and uh, I found like, yeah, it's definitely been an issue in the past uh, with partners that I've had. And uh, I actually, I, it, it stopped me from working with Trish for a little while. We had met and um, I was considering coming to work for her. And my partner at the time was not okay with me touching other people intimately, even if I wasn't going to be having sex with them. Uh, he wasn't okay with me touching anybody else intimately and then, touching him, which I respected, but, uh, you know, at the same time, he also had a lot of beliefs around sex work and he thought that it only hurts people and he refused to look at the possibility of how it could help people. And I think that that mind frame is really a huge fundamental difference. Um, aside from taking, like taking away the whole, you know, men, our you know own women and consider us their property which is where i think a lot of that jealousy and a lot of that sort of i don't want to share you mentality comes in um but that's a completely different psychological topic and i think ultimately um it's i can understand how it's a difficult thing for other people to to grasp and uh to to wrap their heads around but I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that able-bodied people do, <laughs> like swinging and polyamory and, uh, you know, BDSM and all sorts of other things that, you know, people don't necessarily understand that can work for people and that can be really good for people. So, um, yeah, my partner now is very supportive. And he, but he, like I said, he really understands the nature of the work. And so I think that's that's a big, big part of it. That's great. Uh, yeah, and it, I mean, it, seems like this is obviously something you're you've kind of dedicated your life to or something that you plan on doing long term 
Um, it's opened a lot of doors for me, to be honest. It's been really interesting because it was something that I kind of, uh, I sort of just picked up because I thought, oh, this, this could be a good little bit of extra money or whatever. And, uh, and then Trish and I ended up really connecting and knowing a lot of the same people and doing administrative work together and advocacy work together. And, um, and then the, the documentary with Vice happened, and uh, ever since then, it's it's been <laughs> it's been a little bit uh, it's been a crazy ride. <laughs> Business has uh, been booming. Few, <laughs> yeah, I mean that, and just uh, like you say, it's a really unusual topic that a lot of people have never been exposed to before, and. So uh, a lot of people want to talk to me about it. And, um, you know, I've been interviewed by two different PhD researchers this year. You know, this is the fourth podcast interview I've been doing. Um, and then I'm, I continue to work with Vice. So it's, it's, it's been great. And it's opened a lot of doors for me because of um, the sort of niche market of the subject matter. I wouldn't say that I'm, I ded I'm dedicating my life to it, but I would say that uh, you know, I'm not living off of the money that I'm making with Sensual Solutions because the price point is specifically lower than what a typical uh, sex worker or escort would make because these people are on disability. Obviously, most of them are on fixed incomes. Right. And the whole point is to make this an accessible service. And so I am not in it for the money. I'm in it because I believe in the work. So in that in that respect, I would say, yeah, I definitely uh, can identify with devoting my life to this because why do I do it? I do it because I believe that it's a basic human right uh, for everyone to have their sexual needs met. And a lot of people don't think of people with disabilities as getting hornier, as having sexual needs. Well, that, we sort of dehumanize them. Right. That That's a great point. And I was going to ask that. What, I mean, what is this general stigma when it comes to disability and sex, like, how, how would you describe it? I mean, it's obviously, it's become sort of a taboo subject. It's definitely a taboo subject. And I think uh, the biggest stigma is that people think that people with disabilities don't get horny. And that's just not true. They have the same hormones that we do coursing through their bodies. Um, and, and I think that that's something that isn't talked about a lot. And so it's just sort of removed from our minds and also because sex makes people uncomfortable. It's a taboo subject in and of itself. And then disability is something that makes people uncomfortable and is kind of a taboo subject to address or talk about or focus on. And so when you put those two things together, you really make people uncomfortable because both of those subjects on their own make people squirmy, right? So it's it's definitely uh, it's definitely cannon fodder, <laughs> right? Well, putting putting the two together. What kind of uh, disabilities do your clients usually have? Anything from being a quadriplegic, uh, spinal cord injuries, cerebral palsy, uh, severe stroke. Uh, diabetes, uh, just severe age, um, like, yeah, and anything, anything and everything. But it, it's, I do want to make a distinction is that we only, uh, we only work with people who have physical disabilities. We don't work with anyone who has cognitive disabilities. Okay. So that's a big distinction I want to make because people have, um, made that mistake in the past when describing the work that we do. And while I also think that it's very important for us to address that population uh, of people with disabilities, 
it's a very different realm when you move into a cognitive disability. Gaining enthusiastic consent is far more complicated, um, and it's just it's much much riskier and it's much more complicated. And so we would like to enter into that field at some point eventually, but as of right now, we only deal with people who have physical disabilities. So I just wanted to make that clear too. Got it. Have you found a difference uh, between people who have been disabled their entire lives and people who maybe have become disabled throughout their life? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good question. Uh, I think, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I've noticed too much of a difference. It's, it's interesting to talk to the clients who became disabled later in life, uh, especially when they had the opportunity to live an able-bodied life and perhaps even have some sexual experiences in their younger, in their younger years before they had a spinal cord cord injury or whatever the case may be. Um, which typically those, those clients, they've had spinal cord injuries, um, when they get disabled later in life, otherwise you're usually born with it. Right. So, yeah, I would say that their, their perspective is really interesting and their stories tend to be a lot more powerful in a lot of ways because um, going from an able-bodied existence to a disabled existence is really, it's quite a shift to make. I mean, not that being born with it is, is any better or has a, has any sort of advantage, but I think, um, I think that the mentality that I see in those clients is a little bit different. It's, I don't know. They have, they have a different appreciation for uh, the service. It seems like because mm-hmm. they have more of a they have more of a framework around uh, around what their sexual life or what they want their sexual life to look like. I guess those clients often have much clearer ideas as well about what they're looking for and how they'd like to use the service, um, as opposed to clients who who never had that experience before and who've been disabled their whole life. Often those are the clients who are coming to us for the first time because they've never had the opportunity to be sexual with somebody else before. How often? And I think, sorry. Yep. I was going to ask Go how, how often do your clients come back? Like I'm assuming it's like a, <laughs> you know, it's not like a one-off. I'm assuming that you build relationships with these clients, right? Yeah, oh, definitely. Um, so that's something else that is a distinguishing characteristic between a surrogate partner therapist relationship and just a sex worker or an escort. There is supposed to be uh, a finite amount of sessions with your surrogate partner. It's goal oriented and uh, we design a plan. And if we don't reach the goals that we've set together or the the self-identified goals that the client has within that time frame, obviously that can be adjusted and renegotiated. But the difference is that uh, we don't want to create a lifelong relationship with them. This is designed to be like a springboard to help them gain confidence and gain some practical knowledge and skill to apply to their real life and to hopefully springboard them into a real relationship uh, or or uh, just take their, rela- their existing relationship to the next level or whatever it is. So um, I do see clients again and we do, we do establish repeat relationships, but it's still within uh, an agreed upon timeframe because otherwise 
you, I think it's really easy for clients to become very reliant on the service. And the point is to help them transfer these skills into their real life. And so if we don't cap the sessions off, then that, that may not happen. <laughs> right. Uh, so you mm-hmm. mentioned earlier that there's instances where you'll kind of just show a client, you know, this is what a naked body looks like. And what can you walk us through, I guess, how you sort of teach those clients, um, I guess, just like the basics of, you know, a, a sexual experience? Right. Well, and I just want to actually add a caveat to this as well, because I've done the same kind of training uh, with people who are able-bodied through my sex coaching business. And, um, you know, like I've had, I've taught women where their G-spot is by having them lay down and physically find it and physically see it in the mirror. And uh, so it's an actual physical training of like learning what your own body does and where the parts are and all of that kind of thing. And these are grown women who don't know where their own G-spot is, which there's nothing wrong with that. A lot of women don't know where their G-spot is. But I think that there really is something to be said for uh, sex education in, in a real sense like this, because we don't really get that uh, at school. And no one's sitting you down and saying, okay, let's figure out how your body responds best to pleasure. Let's figure out like where your G-spot is. But we're so misinformed that the majority of the population is walking around calling the vulva a vagina. Like it's not, that's actually the wrong anatomical name. You know, we're, we, we don't have the proper, the proper sex education. We don't set people up to understand their sexual organs and, and their bodies the way that we really should. Um, so what I do with clients is really the same that I do with, with able-bodied clients because they had a similar, a similar sort of exploratory session booked with me. I would ask the client what their goals are, and so they would identify what it is that they want to work on or what they want to learn about or what they want to explore. And then we would negotiate how to go about having that happen for them. So if it's a male client, like I had a quadriplegic client who was just lovely um, and he wanted to have an exploratory session like that, that was more educational. So it was, it was a lot about like getting him into a position that was comfortable and then being able to put me in a position that he could easily see me or touch me, which isn't always comfortable for me because I'm in a maybe like a contorted position or a different type of position based on how he's set up because he's got such limited mobility. Um, and then we would, we would explore, I would show him, I would go through the anatomical setup of, of the vulva and the vagina and ask any questions that he might have. And, and we go from there. Was this something that you were always comfortable with doing? So, um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've always been really comfortable with my sexuality and I've always been very comfortable being naked and, uh, performing. I, I do have experience as a sex worker, uh, which is part of what led me into this line of work to begin with. Um, so I'm sure that that helped, (laughs) um, having done, you know, all manner of, of sex work in massage parlors and escort agencies and, uh, stripping, uh, doing out calls and, and parties and uh, adult entertainment. So I think that definitely helped. But 
I also have always been kind of comfortable with this aspect of myself. Uh, even when I was a young kid, I used to change with the windows open all the time. And my mom would yell at me and say, you know, quit doing that. The neighbors can see you. And I was like, <laughs> give them a show. You know, I thought it, I thought it was funny. Um, so I've always kind of had that attitude. Yeah. So I think it's a little bit of both for me. Why do you think it's so important that everyone gets it? You said it's everyone's human right to explore their sexuality. Why do you think that is, that is so important? Oh my gosh. Um, I mean, having a healthy sex life with yourself first and then with your partner, because the basis of good sex is good solo sex. So let's just put that out there. Um, masturbation is a good thing. Everyone should be doing it. Um, there's so much science out there that shows how sex benefits us. I mean, aside from the physical, uh, the physical aspects that, that we get from it, you know, endorphins and lubricated joints and decreased stress levels and, um, all of these things that are really good for your immune system and your mental state of mind. Um, I think that there's also something about human connection that gets missed a lot because we are designed as a human species to connect with other people. And sex is one of the most beautiful ways that we can do that. And human contact and human touch is something that we know, again, from science, like we can't live without it. We die without it. We are programmed to have it. And it is, it's designed to uh, better our lives and better our experience and better our health. And so um, science shows us that sex is important. <laughs> and we've moved beyond the fact of using sex for procreation now. We're way overpopulated as a, as a species on the planet. And so now we're moving into sex as recreation. And I think that there's still a really big cultural shift that needs to happen in terms of the paradigm we have around that um, because we don't need to have sex just to procreate anymore. We don't need it just to thrive and survive as a species on the planet. We, are, we, we use it and we have it to feel good about ourselves and to increase connection with our partners or increase the exploration that we have around uh, ourselves and our limits and uh, what we're capable of. And uh, I think it's something that it's, it's something that is innate within everyone. How do I know that it's a basic human right that has to have these things met? Well, because every single human on the planet requires this. Every single human on the planet is a sexual being. Nobody is exempt from that. It doesn't matter where you were born or where you were raised or how you identify religiously or culturally or sexually you fall on the sexual spectrum somewhere. Sex applies to you. Somehow, some way, you have sex in your life. Sex is in you, and sex will affect you. And so because it is so ubiquitous like that, I feel like it is just as important for us to address. It's just as important. It's a basic human right, like food and shelter and water, uh, you know, because uh, no one's exempt from it. It's not this privileged thing that only happens for a select group of people, you know? That was extremely well said. <laughs> 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 Do not disagree with any of that. Uh, <laughs> so for anyone listening who, I mean, maybe 
maybe they are disabled themselves or uh, just anyone who is maybe not comfortable for whatever reason with you know exploring their own sexuality uh, but maybe they're not ready to take a step toward something like sex surrogacy what advice do you have to them uh, for ways that they can kind of explore that on their own Ooh, that's a good one so I would start with um, always with solo sex uh, before you start trying anything with a partner if you're not comfortable with how to touch yourself you're not going to be comfortable with somebody else touching you and you're also not going to know uh, how you like to be touched so starting with uh, solo self-pleasuring or solo sex is really the best way to go and I think like just exploring what feels good and what doesn't feel good for you and what you like and what you don't like. And if that's hard for you, I think that a, a huge component of this is also how we think about what we're doing. The study of sexology is not just the study of human sexual behavior, but also how we think and feel about it. And so how you think and feel about the acts that you are doing are very important because it will change the way your body responds. It changes the way you respond to what's happening and uh, whether it closes you up or opens you up. Um, and so your, your greatest sex organ is your mind. It's your brain. You know, if your mind is not engaged and is not in, on board with what it is that you're doing, whatever's happening physically is not going to be uh, the same result. It is not going to feel the same to you if, you're, if your mind isn't aligned with what you're doing, right? So if you're having thoughts about, uh, you know, this is wrong or this is dirty or this is shameful, if you have stuff come up for you internally that makes you feel like you shouldn't be doing this, then I would say like you're being triggered. And I think that's a huge part of what a lot of people don't want to explore and they don't want to talk about is being triggered by the idea of said sexual act. And if you have an emotional response to something that is greater than the situation actually calls for, you know that you're being triggered by something in your past. Your amygdala in your brain is, being, is, is firing off saying, oh, this reminds me of this time when you were a kid and you know, and X, Y, Z happened and it wasn't okay or, or so-and-so told you this and you adopted it as like a belief, as a core set of beliefs around what good girls do and what bad girls do or whatever it is. And so I think that that's something that I would love to see people talking about more and exploring more even within their own play and their own, their own um, sex education is how are you thinking and feeling about what it is that you're doing or what it is that your partner is asking you to do. If your partner is asking you to do something that you feel is degrading, then why is, why is that? Like I know a lot of women who feel like giving a blowjob is degrading. And I remember back when I was much younger, when I used to think like that too. Uh, and now I realize like it is a major position of power and I own that. And it's a completely different experience for me when I engage in that activity with my partners. But the, the mental switch that I did completely changed the physical act for me. And so that's a, that's a big thing I would love for people to, to really explore on their own is how are you thinking and feeling about 
your sexuality and your sex life and the sex acts that you're doing with yourself and with your partner and and get okay with it get okay with it unless you're hurting yourself or somebody else without consent there's no such thing as bad sex it doesn't exist we have these crazy moral ideas around what good sex is and what bad sex is or what dirty sex is and what clean sex is or vanilla sex and you know kinky sex and we have all of these kinds of classifications and we have all of these different ways of describing it and we're not actually looking at the fact that these come with connotations that we're we're absorbing into our into our subconscious and into our belief system you know and so i think that if we can get to a place where we can truly accept that having your sexual needs met is a basic human right. And that's going to be different for everyone. What that looks like for you is going to be different than what it looks like for me. And it's actually going to be what that looks like for you. is going to be different from now compared to five years from now. And that's another thing that I would love for people to really talk about more is that sexuality is fluid. It's not a stagnant state. Uh, it's something that, grows and evolves and has an ebb and a flow just like you grow and mature in all of the other areas of your life with uh, education and with social skills and uh, skills at your career or in your job your sexuality grows and matures and evolves exactly the same way if you let it if you let it a lot of people stifle it and then it becomes a big issue and all sorts of other problematic circumstances kind of stem from that right if you don't have a healthy sexual life then often you'll find a lot of other issues crop up in relationships at work with stress management with health um you know it's all really kind of related sex bleeds into everything yeah so we, if you can now i was just gonna say we we, yeah. we talk about that a lot on uh i mean a lot of the episodes we do I think have to do with sex just because that's uh, it's, it always ends up being a taboo subject in one way or another. But you know, we always talk about that. Yeah. Like there's just this like weird pressure that shouldn't exist that you should be having sex a certain number of times per week or, you know, your yeah. relationship yeah. isn't strong if you're not doing it yeah, this it always, way. All or, those episodes end the same way too. It always ends with people saying like, you know, even the more open you are with your partner and the more honest you are with yourself and your partner, the better it is for you. So everybody wins in that yeah. situation. So I totally understand what you're yeah. saying with that. Um, you're also really yeah. good at your job, by the way. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, before we go, I had one last question. Uh, yeah. you, you mentioned earlier that you made someone orgasm by just touching their ear earlobes. I'm just wondering, like, w yeah. what did you do? Like, he wants your playbook. Yeah, like, what's the move? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, earlobes are uh, in and of themselves extremely erotic. Like if you think about somebody nibbling or kissing on your ear, a lot of people like that who aren't people with disabilities. Um, so there's a lot of nerve endings there, and it's very sensitive. Um, so that helps. But I was just, uh, I was just massaging. I was just massaging his earlobes between my thumbs and my index finger on either side and I would and I would do a little bit of gentle tugging um, on the crest of his ear but mostly like some nibbles and some pulls on on the earlobe and uh, it wasn't so much what I was doing this gentleman 
was very clear about knowing his erogenous zones, and he knew that this was um, a method that worked for him. So it also had become kind of like a rote routine. You know, like we fall into those sometimes with our masturbation patterns where you know what you like, and so if you, you know, you only have a couple of minutes, you do, you do the thing, the one thing that you know is going to get you off within a couple of minutes or as quick as possible. You know, you've got like that hot button. And so for this gentleman, that was his hot button. And uh, I was, it was lucky for me that he knew that because um, it saved us a lot of time and effort trying to, trying to figure that out. So I think more than what it was that I was doing, it's that he he knew it worked for him, and it had been a routine that he'd used many times. So oh, it I also see. was a neural pathway, right? Yeah, right. it was a neural pathway in his brain that already existed that was very strong. Um, so it was easy for him to fall back on that uh, to, to achieve orgasm. Where are some other places that people would be kind of surprised that... You know, like you you said that ears have like, you know, nerve endings in them. What are some other places that aren't necessarily the norm that uh, could be used in the same way? As erogenous zones? I think uh, forearms are a forearms. place that people, yeah, yeah, they can be very sensitive. Um, and like the crux of, of the elbow there, uh, which is very thin, thin skin and thin tissue, that can be very sensitive for people. We're touching each um, other's forearms as you say this. By the way. <laughs> like, does this? That's work? really interesting. <laughs> um, it's very, very dependent on the client's injury, uh, because if they're paralyzed from the neck down, it's going to be different than me having someone who's paralyzed from the waist down. Mm. Um, so it, it's very, very different, and it, it depends on on how much functioning and mobility and uh, and sensation that the client has. But for our listeners at home, I can tell you for, from my own personal experience, um, an erogenous zone that I discovered for myself that I never would have considered was erogenous were my hips. I had um, uh, an experience with um, another sexologist friend of mine who's a good friend of mine, uh, and he'd come up here to give me some birthday sex, which was very lovely, and he was kissing my hips and my waist uh, from behind me, and it was mind-blowing. It was mind-blowingly intense for me. And this is like without penetration. Yeah. Um, So, and and that's just for me personally. And so, again, it's going to be different for everybody. Um, You know, I've had people talk about their kneecaps and – um, the, the area of quad, the quad muscle just around the kneecap on the outside of, of your quad muscles there uh, as being extremely uh, sensitive and very, very intense to the touch. So this is where that's really fun. It's a fun thing that you could even do with your partner is like, you know, have a little play date and say, ooh, okay, let's do some body mapping. Let's do some erogenous zone mapping. And, and you can play with the different parts of the body. Some people love their toes being played with and their feet being tickled and sucked and massaged or whatever it is. And so, you know, I think we, we often tend to go jet, like straight to genitals you know, or, um, you know, like the, the mouth and just kissing, and we think these are the erogenous zones. Um, but there's a great sex therapist uh, named Marty Klein, who is just a total idol of mine. And he, he says that 
the whole body is an erogenous zone. And I agree with that. I agree with that. The entire body can be an erogenous zone. We just need to get out of our heads about what it is that we think is supposed to be an erogenous zone based on what we've seen in porn, <laughs> which is yes. The I was going to say there's just that like sex ever. Right, right. <laughs> That's like how <laughs> like sex is supposed to be, and I feel like a lot of people like actually believe that. Yes because we don't have comprehensive sex education that's medically accurate or progressive, which is one of my major life goals. We need to change that on a global scale. If we were having these kinds of real discussions with kids in school, and yes, kids, we don't need to wait until they're teenagers because it's already too late by then. We need to be talking to our kids about sex. I'm a huge, I'm very passionate about that. Then, and I'm not talking pornographic sex either, but talking about touch with your kids is very appropriate and I highly encourage it. Using uh, anatomically correct names for body parts. Don't call his penis a wee-wee. Call it a penis. It sounds funny, but if you think about that, it, like why are we not using the word penis? Because yeah. you're, you're telling them that it's shameful mm -hmm. to say the word penis. Why do we whisper the word sex? Like, why do we have to whisper that? You know, I joke about the fact that my seven-year-old son has probably heard the word sex more than his own name, and he's the only seven-year-old on the planet who's probably been so exposed to that three-letter word. But I also think that there's something that's really healthy about that. It's like, it's like the kids in Europe who get exposed to drinking wine with every meal, and then by the time they're 19, they don't run out and get plastered right, drunk because right. it's been this suppressed thing their whole life. And if you look at the Netherlands, which is my go-to country for um, a healthy sex culture as a model, they talk to their kids about, they start teaching sex education in, in kindergarten. And it's not pornographic penis and vagina sex. It's talking about touch. It's talking about love. It's talking about boundaries, gender, appropriate touching versus inappropriate touching. How does that feel? Getting them okay with that inventory and that language and talking about it. So that by the time they get to a prepubescent age where we are doing sex education in schools, it's not as awkward to have those conversations. It's not like, oh, my God, and everybody's kind of laughing and giggling and freaking out because this is the first time you're introducing any sort of sexual component or any sort of basic naked human component to their education. And then if you look at all of the statistics that that country has, I mean, they've got the healthiest sex laws in the world, the healthiest sex education programs in the world, and as a result, they have the lowest rates of uh, unwanted teenage pregnancy in the world, they have the lowest rates of STI transmission in the world, they have the lowest rates of sexual violence with rape and date rape in the world. They, they, uh, they polled all of the teenagers there about their first sexual experience, and the majority of them said that their first sexual experience was wanted and enjoyable. Now, that's a pretty sad bar, but that's the bar, like that it was wanted and enjoyable. But I can tell you that's not how my first sexual experience went. And the majority of the women that I know here in the Western world would not answer that question that way because we have a really messed up sex education and a really messed up sex culture. And so, yes. 
talking to your kids about sex, I think, is, is super, super important. I went on a rant there, and I forget what your original question was now. Uh, <laughs> it was about the ears. The ears. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, I think that's a great point, though. No. I mean, we talk about sex positivity all the time, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great point that it's kind of uh, the foundation of, you know, the education here. Uh, yeah. It, yeah, it affects us yeah, long term. I mean... We, we we have to wrap it up, but we really appreciate you being so thorough because I think people can take away a lot from this episode. You seem very, <laughs> you know, educated on, on the topic or just <laughs> overall, you know. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, we, we really appreciate it. It's nice, like, insight, you know, because – and it's also nice that, I mean, we get this uh, headline from Vice, I give disabled people orgasms for a living, and if people read that, they go, oh, okay, that's – a prostitute who or like a fetish is just like or having some, sex yeah. with disabled people and, but it's so much more deeper than that and uh yeah, yeah we just really appreciate you coming on and i'm glad there was a, there's a space for you to talk about it and really yeah. dive into it me too yeah i really appreciate you guys giving me the the time and the space to rant you really you let me kind of run off the deep end so thank you hey <laughs> that's what this is about yeah it's all that's that's, that's all we do we put yeah. it on the platform and, and just you can go <laughs> Um, <laughs> all right well uh it was nice talking to you really appreciate it uh yeah. is there anything that you would like to plug or uh you know just something where people can reach you or just the name of the company again yeah sure sure yeah well if anyone wants to um a approach us about services if you have somebody with physical disabilities that you think the service would be right for um, then the company is sensualsolutions.com. So you can go to that website um, and talk with Trish, uh, who will do the, your intake and all of that. If you're interested in contacting me, uh, whether you are a person with physical disabilities or not, because um, I provide sex coaching for people with, uh, with disabilities and without, um, then you can go to my website. It's mojomediator.com. And uh, if you fill out the intake form there, somebody will get back to you within 24 hours setting up a Skype consultation and we can move forward with whether or not we think it's a good fit to work together. Awesome. awesome. Yeah. Mojo Mediator. Yeah. That's a great name too. Mojo Mediator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Well, it was nice talking to you. Thank you for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. You take care. Take care. Bye. Okay. Bye. All right, before we get to our final thoughts, let's get to the sponsor here. We have ZipRecruiter. Um, are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Probably not. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. Sounds pretty easy. Uh, it uses its smart matching technology to work, actively notifying qualifi qualified candidates about your job within minutes of posting so you receive the best possible matches. No wonder 80% of employers post on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate through the site in just one day. You're looking to hire? You're looking to hire fast? One day, dog. That fucking technology. We're killing it on ZipRecruiter here. Um, ZipRecruiter, it is the smartest way to hire, obviously. I mean, dude, look what I just said. 80% of people who post on here find someone in one day. That's absurd. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by growing businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, my listeners can post on ZipRecruiter for free. Oh, whoa, wait a minute. That's right, free. 
Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash lives. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash lives. One more time to try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash lives. All right. How's your wee-wee? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, hold up. So, I was serious when I asked, when I asked that uh, earlobe question. I had heard of that before what that's from a movie Is with it? the ears and so i'm just like oh whoa you know like it's the, the yeah ear but you thing. see it in, in a movie you think it's like i mean it had to have come from somewhere if it's in the movie you I know guess they don't so. just write that into the script like out of fucking for no reason in a left field well, but i want to try that this is interesting and you know jesus with this the fucking title here it's like i give disabled people orgasms i feel for bad living. for her that that yeah. title is still up there Come that on, sounds Vice. like she's just like Get your shit together blowing everyone in a wheelchair yeah, like you know wow. what i mean like yeah. it's so much more deeper yeah. than that but this is like you know honestly uh, i mean we've been in media we know how it works oh yeah i mean it's that's all about a, the headline. I, I wish we could put that as our title for this fucking episode yeah, well. we're gonna have to get approval and shit <laughs> but um no but I don't know what I was about to say just now. I had something good and I just forgot. Come on. Let me rub your earlobe and get it out. <laughs> that was another thing. That was hilarious. She's like forearms. Like forearms. <laughs> Immediately at the same time, we reached out and started touching each other's forearms. Uh, Imagine we were just like, "Whoa, dude!" This uh, yeah, <laughs> I just had to stop real quick. But like, hold on. No, but in all seriousness, uh, no, that's awesome. I mean. You know, we've been saying it like sex comes up so often on the show just because I think it has to just because it is. It's not something you could just openly taboo. Talk to. It is what people keep to themselves. Yeah. And, and your closest friends who you say you tell everything to, you probably don't talk to them about sex. Like no. you'll say like, you know, I've, I can speak for dudes. I should be like, oh, yeah, I fucked that girl. Like whatever. But like, it's yeah, not well, it's like, like the porn mentality of into, like, we did this. Yeah. It was doggy style. And like, who yeah. is it? Like, it's like, yo, are you, is there any, like the, you don't have that conversation. Like, well, okay, what are you really into? What's the, what's the thing? You know? Because like she said, it's, it's mental. If you're truly turned on, if you're truly having that connection, like there's a mental element to that. Right. So I think that's why also like the sex thing always comes up in our show because it's that's a that's one thing that you can't it's not comfortable to have a conversation with someone about it you know what I mean mm. at least for the most part I'm sure there are some people that are like completely open and I mean it's you become vul vulnerable when you talk about something like that I mean, sure that you're afraid your... of being like the way you're judged or whatever because the norm is so basic that even a little step out of it is just like oh, what right you like what mm -hmm. your fucking oh, elbow no. the crevice in your elbow to be licked and some <laughs> shit you well, know now yeah yeah that, I, might I might have that's to do part of that. your forearm you know what i did see one time so we, i mean we mentioned the porn thing where it's just like you know the basic stuff yeah i did see one time this uh this dude was fucking a girl's armpit. No, you didn't. Yeah, like she was just like, like she was tucking her elbow into her side. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then he was just, he was going at it. Hmm. And I was like, this is this is new, you know? Not going to get pregnant that way. You definitely not. Safe and technically, sex. yeah, exactly. <laughs> still a virgin, I think. And he still wore a condom, so that guy's <laughs> paranoid. Uh, <laughs> no, but it uh, was really great to hear, I mean, from someone who does this for a living. You know, she's a sex coach, 
beyond just what she does with disabled clients, which is super important. Like we spoke about, I mean, there's definitely a stigma with like, you know, you see someone in a wheelchair, do they have sex? Yeah. Like, does it still function? Yeah. You know, all these questions. That's, that, that was another thing too. That's what I was going to say originally before when I said I forgot something is I know for me, I just, from an ignorant point of view, I don't even like think about it. You know what I mean? I, it never crosses my mind. Do disabled people have sex? Like I don't, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't think about it. But when you do see someone sitting in a wheelchair, you, I think, I assume, like, okay, they can't really have sex or whatever. Which is not the case. Like, that's a dumb thought. Like, that's... Right. But, the, you know, quickly, that's the thought that pops into people's heads, I feel like. At yeah. least for me. I'm, I, no, think I, I'm, I think I'm dumber than most. Say. But, well. you know. <laughs> well. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. It's so just this, something we can't imagine. It's just like, that's, you know, again, that, that's not normal. They can't function the same way, but... Right. Good for her. And I do I do agree and you know she does sound very adamant about. I mean like she said she doesn't get she doesn't make her living off of this. You know this is something that she truly believes in. She she thinks that it's everyone's human right to have sex and sexual activity and experiences and stuff like that. So good for her, you know? Yeah. She's crushing it. And she was uh super big on masturbation and solo oh, sex. Oh yeah. Solo stuff. Do you know anyone who doesn't masturbate? I have one friend that claims he hasn't masturbated. There's always people who claim they don't. That since 2008. And I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? Do you think it's true? No, I don't. Even if like you're not masturbating like a lot, like at least once a Just month. Just like by accident. Yeah, like, <laughs> come on. Brush your forearm against Sometimes the... I masturbate and I'm not even in the mood to do it. <laughs> I'm just like, I just gotta, you know? <laughs> This is too much. We're getting honest. It's late, guys. Uh, I gotta be honest. It's close to midnight, so <laughs> we never know what's gonna happen. Um, but yeah, that is all for this week's episode. If you guys want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Joe Santagato. Send us an email. You can go to oplshow.com/contact if you have a interesting story or fetish or whatever or something you want to share. Email us if it fits for the show. We'll reach out and schedule a time for you to call in. And Greg, where can they find you? I am at Greg Dybeck, and the show is on Twitter at OPL Show. And leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Oh, yeah. Don't forget to do that. And that is all. Thanks for listening.